You know, sometimes two people can see the same exact thing and have a totally different response to it. Think modern art. Two different people could sit and be looking at modern art. One person would say, you know what, I'd love to just sit here all day and let this art speak to my soul. And another person would say, I don't get it. Or you go to a garage sale. Just one person, they may see junk. At a lot of garage sales, I'd be looking at things and I'd say, no, please do not put that in my car. I do not want that at my house. Someone else sees the same exact item and they're thinking, look at what we could do with this. How we could transform this. How we can make it something special at our house. Two people looking at the same thing and having a totally different reaction. Today we're going to look at a person who had two different people look at her and have two totally different reactions. And through that encounter, we're going to see how Jesus teaches us about love as we continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Scott's leading us on a series through the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, he took the first week and talked about the Holy Spirit. And if you missed that um, sermon last week, I recommend you go online and look at that. He did an excellent job in leading us into that. And, and today, we're going to continue on now as we go through the next uh, nine weeks from here, taking one week looking at each of the fruit of the Spirit. And the main text for this is in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Galatians 5, 22, so that we can look at, at this passage. It's the key passage for our series. If you don't have it, we're going to have it on the screen here. And as we honor God's word together, will you stand with me if that's um, comfortable for you as we look at God's word? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. That those who practice such things... Whoop, that's from a previous verse. Ignore that part. <laughs> Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come into this sermon today, we pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would impact us through the power of the Holy Spirit to allow your love to flow through us and to impact people around us that desperately need you. We anticipate what you're going to do today, God. We love you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. As we're looking at love, here's a definition for us to begin with. Love is sacrificial action for another which flows from the sacrificial action of God. In other words, God acted sacrificially on our behalf, and that now flows through us so that we act sacrificially on behalf of others. 
Pastor Scott gave us a big idea for our entire series, for the entire 10 weeks that we'll be together on this. And here was his big idea for us. The fruit of the Spirit are not objectives that we achieve, but outcomes we experience. That the idea of the fruit of the Spirit isn't that we're adding to a to-do list or that we're trying to do things in our own power. Instead, God has impacted us. The Holy Spirit indwells us as soon as we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And now there are outcomes that come as a result. And today as we look at love, what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit transforms our own selfish love into God's love. In fact, the big idea for today is going to be this. Our love is transformed as God's love flows through us. Our love is transformed as God's love flows through us. And to illustrate this, I want to look at an amazing incident in the life of Jesus. An amazing encounter that he had. It takes place in Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, we're going to look together at this encounter that takes place. And it starts here in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And it says, Then one of the Pharisees, we're going to find out that his name is Simon. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You know, the Pharisees are still studying Jesus. The impression you get is that Simon is curious, but skeptical. He refers to him reverentially as teacher later in our passage. He makes Jesus the guest of honor at a banquet. Yet he also snubs him by not doing some of the basic hospitality. And we're going to see that in a minute. But Jesus is invited to the banquet and Jesus accepts his offer. The first point as we look through this passage is that God's love flows through us as we reduce our busyness. And as I thought about the life of Jesus, I, I think of Jesus as just being available in his schedule time and time again to encounter people. If you read through the Gospels, you constantly see him open to things that for us would be unexpected interruptions to our schedule. And I was thinking about this because I was thinking that if I were Jesus, if I were in this situation, I'm probably too busy to accept this invitation. There's too much on my schedule. I wouldn't have time. I was thinking back to a church that I once interviewed um, with and they were taking me through their Sunday morning schedule and all the things that happen on Sunday morning and they sort of half jokingly said, um, you know what, it, it, we are so busy on Sunday and we've got everything timed out just perfectly. If the Holy Spirit showed up on a Sunday morning, we probably wouldn't have time for him. Now that's a problem. <laughs> and the reality is that could often be my life. I had to drop by a bank and talk to the, the banker this week, and it was the assistant manager who I know. And um, she said, hey, you keeping busy? And uh, my reaction was, yes, I'm very busy right now. And in the past, that was a point of pride. I'm busy. I've got a lot going in my life. Now when I say I'm really busy, I start to feel like, what am I missing out on? What opportunities, like Jesus has here in this passage, do I not have? Because I'm so busy, I don't have time for it. What am I missing out on? 
Well, Jesus arrives at this house. He reclines at the table. You know, there'd be a normal procedure when someone would come to your house in the first century at a time like this. Um, you would enter and you'd be greeted with a kiss on the cheek. A servant would remove your sandals and would wash your feet. You'd have oil poured on your forehead as a sign of refreshment. You'd recline at the table on your left elbow uh, on, on low cushions uh, with your feet away from the table. And verse 37 says, and a woman. In fact, if you looked at it literally in Greek, it would say, and look, a woman. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And look, a woman. The shock isn't the presence of a woman, it's this woman. She's a woman from the city, she's a sinner. And the idea isn't that we're not people who sin. The idea is that she is known as a sinner. That's her identity. It's what everyone knows her as. The passage doesn't tell us what her sin is. Maybe she was married to a man with a dishonorable occupation. Maybe she was in debt. Maybe she was an adulteress. Most likely, she was a prostitute. Later, we're going to learn that she had encountered Jesus already before this moment. We know nothing about that encounter. But Ken Gere, who's written a lot about the life of Jesus, writes hypothetically about what that encounter could have been, a very good possibility of what could have happened. Ken writes this. She sighs as she gets up to get ready for still another night. Around her neck, she puts a necklace from which hangs a small alabaster jar of perfume. She fixes her hair seductively, drapes a few tawdry scarves around her shoulders, smears some color onto her face, and puts on a pair of spangled earrings. She goes out to a customary corner where she takes that vial of perfume and dabs a little on her neck. She's met all manner of men on that corner, from shopkeepers to those who tax them, to those who receive their tithes. They want to stay with her at night, but by morning they're gone. Men, they're all alike. Or so she thinks until she meets Jesus. She meets him on his way to a dinner engagement. As he approaches her corner, she counts on her perfume to lure him. In case it doesn't, she brushes a gand against her earrings to catch his eye. But his eyes don't follow the contours of her body. Instead, they look beneath the spangles and the scarves to see what it is that bring her to the street corner night after night. She feels his eyes hard against the hollow contours of her soul and its uncharacteristic modesty. She pulls a scarf over her face. He speaks to her, and in a moment she realizes he must be a prophet. How else could he discern her silent shame? How else could he know her secret longings? He tells her that the love she longs for is not on that street corner. He tells her about a love so pure it can wash away all her sin, no matter how unsightly the stain or how permanent it may seem on the surface. It's the love of God, and it's hers for the asking. She listens in veiled silence. After a few more words, Jesus leaves for his appointment. 
In his absence, she drops her veil. A spade of conscience digs at her heart. She gropes for her chest, but all she feels is the cold alabaster jar nestled in her bosom. The thought that anyone could love her like that, let alone God, overpowers her. She falls to her knees, pleading for this forgiveness, begging to know this love. She gets up, disoriented, and runs down the street. She accosts people to ask if they've seen Jesus, if they know where he went. She scours the streets, the alleyways, but the night seems to have enveloped him. After an anxious half hour of searching, she finds someone who thinks he saw Jesus go into Simon's house. She arrives at the Pharisee's house, breathless, her heart beating against her ribs like a suddenly caged bird. From the open doorway, she sees soft mats bordering a low table where guests are reclining propped on their elbows. The servants are busy filling goblets and replenishing trays of food so she's able to slip into the room unnoticed. She approaches the table reverently and stops at the feet of him who is now her savior. She comes to the Pharisee's house. It takes a lot of courage. You can see the tension already. She has a vial of perfume with her. It's not the cheap stuff. That would be used for anointing. This is the expensive stuff she brought with her. The word used in the text is for an expensive vial of perfume. Jesus had impacted her. She wanted to hear more. Maybe to thank him. And in verse 38, it says, She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. This woman standing behind Jesus, and, the, and she just starts to cry, overwhelmed by the encounter she's had with Jesus. And then she notices something. His feet haven't been washed. Why did nobody wash Jesus' feet? His feet! His feet! Down on the ground she goes. The tears start to flow. The term here for tears and the flowing tears is for rain showers. And think of how much the tears must be because she's able with her tears to wash his dirty feet. That's how much she's crying. Guilt and crushing burden she felt for all those years was lifted from hers. The tears continued to flow, but now she has a problem. What happens if you mix dirt and water? You get mud. And she doesn't have a towel to finish the job. So what does she do? She lets down her hair and uses her hair to wipe off his feet. You know, washing someone's feet is humbling enough. And think of how most women view their hair. Right? You make sure it's absolutely right before you go out. And this woman who night after night would use her hair to seduce was now offering to be ugly in public if that would help honor Jesus. By the time she's done, the dirt and mud from man's feet would be caked into her hair. You know, there's times when the text doesn't tell us something, but you know exactly what the moment was like. This is one of those times. 
there are some things I could tell you for certainty about what's happening right now at this banquet. I can tell you with certainty that at this moment, nobody is eating. Nobody is talking. This is one of those moments where you're barely breathing, right? It's like, oh. Sometimes we look at something in the Bible and we say, hey, you know, there's this first century custom you need to know about that makes this whole thing make sense. Um, I've studied the first century customs. I've got nothing to help you with. This moment is as awkward today as it was then. Everyone's silent. Everyone knows exactly who this woman is. And the room is dead quiet. The gratitude keeps coming in her heart, so she takes those washed feet and she starts to kiss them. Have you ever kissed someone's feet? I mean, kissing a baby's feet, that's kind of okay, right? <laughs> but an adult's feet? And the word used in the text is an intensive word for kiss. It's used of the father kissing the prodigal son. It's used of the elders saying goodbye to Paul at Ephesus when they knew they were never going to see him again. If you were at that dinner party, how would you view what you just saw? Well, Simon has an idea for us. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw them, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet. And sometimes the Greek helps us, and if-then statements is one of those times. You can write an if-then statement in Greek, and it tells you if you think the if is true or if it's false. This is a contrary-to-fact if-then statement. So what it's saying is, if he were a prophet, and by the way, we certainly know that he's not. But if he were a prophet then he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Simon sees this woman and what he sees is a sinner, a prostitute, a whore. You know, sometimes we have expectations that come from society, not the Bible. You know, there's extra rules that are added on. In the first century, there were some extra rules that would help explain this text even more. In the society at that time, it had been determined that a woman should only let down her hair in the presence of her husband. In fact, if a woman let down her hair in the presence of anyone except for her husband, according to the Talmud, that was a good reason to get divorced. So he looks at this woman and he sees her past. He looks at this woman and he sees her as dirty. Yet Simon's biggest concern with this woman isn't her presence in his house, although he's probably not enjoying that a lot. Simon's biggest concern with this woman isn't her actions, although he'd certainly see it as appropriate. I mean, look how she's touching his feet. Simon's biggest concern is how Jesus is reacting to this woman. In his mind, he starts to doubt Jesus' credentials. After all, if he truly was a prophet, and we know he's not, he would know what kind of woman this was. 
He would rebuke her for her actions. He would rebuke her for her lifestyle. Simon sees this woman and sees nothing good at all. And Jesus is there for this event. I probably would have missed it with my busy schedule. But Jesus carved out time for the unexpected opportunities to love people. Now, the temptation as we face this is to add some objectives to our life, a checklist. We need to love harder. We need to add a to-do list. We need to come up with some things to do. And the problem is that that leads us right into the works of the flesh. Remember back before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, there's another list that's given. That's the works of the flesh. That's what happens if we try to do things in our own power instead of through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5.19 tells us about the works of the flesh. And what's interesting is when we do love and when we do any of these things in our own power, what we get is a counterfeit love. We get something that isn't truly love. We get something that is less than. And so many of the words that are listed here in the works of the flesh happen to tie directly to what love looks like when we try to do it in our own power. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. That's counterfeit love. Moral impurity. That's counterfeit love. Promiscuity. There's another one. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Jesus knows that if we just try to create a to-do list, if we try to do it in our own power, we're going to end up with something like this. So we have our second point today. God's love flows through us as we meditate on his love for us. See, Simon sees a disgusting sinner. Jesus sees something different. Why does he see something different? Why does he see something different in her? And it's time for Jesus to tell a story. It's time for Jesus to take us away from trying to do things harder in our own power and instead allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so Jesus goes on. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they couldn't pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them do you think will love more? A denarii, one day's wages. So you have someone who's behind, has a debt of 50 denarii, 10 weeks wages. And, and if you were making that level of money um, of a typical person, um, that was enough to meet your needs. It certainly wasn't building savings. So if you are behind 10 weeks of earnings, it's a big debt. It's going to be hard to repay that. The other one is two years income. That's a massive debt. Those are the size of the debts. If you're barely covering your expenses, both are big debts, but one's a lot bigger. And what happens? The lender forgives them completely. Can you imagine getting that phone call? Can you imagine hearing that news? Your debt's forgiven? 
the comparisons are easy to make here to what Jesus is saying. God's the money lender. Our sin is the debt. The big debtor is the woman. The little debtor is Simon. And notice that even though one debt is much larger than the other, both the high-class moralist and the low-class prostitute have the same problem. They're both insolvent. They both don't have enough money to pay their debt. And this is where our debt stands with God. We can't pay it. And God forgiving our debt should shock us even more than Citibank calling to tell us we don't have to pay our huge delinquent credit card bill. Simon gets the answer right. Who will be more loving as a result? I suppose the one he forgave more. Jesus says, yeah, you've judged correctly. The one who understands their forgiveness, the one who understands how much the debt was. You know, it's hard to talk about love on a Sunday morning and not come to a passage um, from Scripture that talks about the deepest level of love you can have. It appears in John 15, and, and Jesus says this in John 15, 12, and 13. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Here's the greatest act of love that ever takes place when someone lays down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love that ever took place is when Jesus died for us. And we allow the love of God to flow through us, not when we try harder, but when we back up and when we allow what God did for us to run through our hearts, to we rehearse that again, we remember it, we celebrate it. We don't allow the time that's gone since we became believers to dull the excitement of what it means to be forgiven. We have times where we do that regularly as a church body. We come to the Lord's Supper like we did last week, where we remember that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. When we come together like we did this morning corporately to celebrate who God is, to remember what Jesus has done. There's a number of times I'll be driving and I'll have podcasts on this morning. I didn't want the podcasts on. I wanted a worship playlist on. Because as I came here this morning, I wanted to rehearse what God's done in my life. To allow the gratitude to enter my heart and to flow through me. Third point today. God's love flows through us as we see people as God sees them. Jesus goes on here and he turns to the woman and then he says, Simon, do you see this woman? You know, this would be an awesome memory verse for this week. This is probably one of those good moments when it's good that Pastor Scott isn't here. You'd say, out of all the memory verses you could have chosen in Scripture, you chose, do you see this woman? I mean, for God so loved the world, that's a good memory verse. Or we're saved by grace through faith, that's a good one. Or how about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That'd be a good memory verse. And you ask them to memorize, do you see this woman? I think this is the most exciting verse of this passage. Because it really gets at the core of what's happening here. Simon, do you see this woman? Oh, Simon sees her all right. 
He sees exactly who she is. Can you imagine if the whole world viewed you based on your worst moment in your life? If the whole world viewed you based on your worst characteristic? If the whole world viewed you based on your worst sin? But you know what? Jesus looks at this woman and he sees her a little bit differently. Turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered her house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who's forgiven little loves little. Simon, do you see this woman? She was extravagant in her care while you failed to show me the basic steps of hospitality. She could have just got me a bowl of water for my feet. Instead, she washed them. Instead of using water, she used her own tears. Instead of a towel, she used her own hair. Instead of kissing my hand or my head, she kissed his feet. Instead of using cheap anointing oil, she used expensive perfume. You know, this woman's a perfect example of this series. She experienced God's love. She allowed God's love to transform her. And then out of coming out of that, what she didn't do is say, you know what? Um, yeah, God forgave me a lot. I, I really need, I should probably make a to-do list. I, I need to write him a thank you note. It wasn't an objective she came up with. It wasn't a to-do list. Instead, it was the outcome. It was the natural outcome of what was happening in her life. Her heart was overwhelmed and she came there and she let her heart overflow in love for Jesus. And then Jesus ties it all together. Because of the parable and her actions, she's been forgiven. Why? Because she loved much. Love is the evidence of forgiveness. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. If you struggle to love God, it's not because you don't understand the depth from which you were saved. If you struggle to love God, it's because you do not understand the depth from which you were saved. If you see God's work as more significant, then your response will be appropriate. Jesus reassures this woman that her sins have been forgiven. Those who were at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who's this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Twice he talks about how she's been saved, how her sins are forgiven. Both times he does it, it's in the perfect tense. The perfect tense in Greek has the idea of a past action. So he encountered her sometime before. She accepted that forgiveness sometimes before. And then there's a continuing action that takes place into the present and into the future. She was forgiven at some time in the past and now she's living living in an ongoing state of forgiveness. The identity of Christ is now coming out in her life. Obviously, he's a prophet. He knew Simon's thoughts. He knew what she was going through. But he's more than a prophet if he can forgive sins. Do you see this woman? Simon looked back 
and he looked in her history and he saw somebody dirty, disgusting, a failure of a person, a person that didn't deserve to be in his house. Jesus looked forward and saw what that woman's life would become after she was transformed by God. One person, two people looking at her, seeing two totally different things. You know, if a person's married every so often, there will be times where they need to have conversations together. Times where maybe someone's been hurt. There's misunderstandings. Um, next weekend, Lisa and I will celebrate 28 years of marriage together. And throughout the last 28 years, we've had times where we've had to sit down and have conversations together. And there's a phrase that we'll say to each other every so often as we've grown in our communication skills. And at times, the, the phrase will go something like this, where we say, right now, I feel like you're choosing to think the worst of me. Now, when she says that to me, and if, if you see her, don't let her know I said this, okay? Just between us here. Um, if, if she says that to me, it really impacts me as soon as I hear that. Because I love my wife. And I never want to think lower of her than who she really is. I know that she was created in the image of God. I know that Jesus died from her and shed his blood for her. I know that she's been filled with the Holy Spirit and that he's transforming her life day by day. And at moments like that, it makes me want to take a step forward and to say, I trust you. I trust you that even though I might be hurt, that you weren't trying to hurt me. I see you for who God sees you instead of looking at you in the worst possible light I can. This is my favorite part of this encounter. How do I view other people? This is what happens when God transforms me. I now choose to make an intentional act to see people as God sees them instead of choosing to see them for the worst moment in their lives. It's an intentional act. It's an act of love. There's a spouse who needs to hear that from their husband or wife today. There is a child who needs to hear that from their mom or dad. There is a coworker who needs to hear that from someone they work with. There's a friend who needs to hear that from their friend. There's a family member who needs to hear that from their relative. They don't need to know how everyone else sees them. They already know that. They need one person in this world to see them as Jesus really sees them. Simon looked back and he saw an unworthy person. He saw a whore. Jesus looked forward and he saw what this woman's life would become 
after she was transformed by God. We have a few next steps I want to encourage you towards today. First one is to take a little bit of time this week, maybe 15, 30 minutes, and to ask yourself, um, what would my schedule look like if I were to review it and to think through, do I have time to even love people? Do I have time for unexpected encounters? Am I putting myself in a position where I can reach out and love people? How does my schedule allow for unexpected opportunities to love others? Second one, identify one to two rhythms which allow you to meditate on God's love and be practicing them. Maybe it's being more intentional when we come together for the Lord's Supper. Maybe it's really focusing on that during worship. Maybe it's having a, a worship playlist set in your car or somewhere else where you're going to focus on that in certain times. Allowing yourself to hear um, about what God's done for us so that that can flow through us to impact others. Then name the people you feel convicted by the Spirit to look at in a different light. The blanks are for that person's name. Maybe you've got someone in your head right now that you realize you haven't been looking at them in the best light. You've been assuming the worst about them. You can put their name right there. Is made in God's image and God deeply loves them. One woman seen by two different people in two different lights. And it teaches us so much about love and what it means to allow God's love to flow through us to impact our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encounter that Jesus had with this woman. Thank you for this woman and her life and for her willingness to allow the love that she experienced from you to pour out immediately through the power of the Holy Spirit may your love pour through us and impact people around us in incredible ways may we see people as you see people May that be our act of love, God. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, keep praying for Pastor.